this morning we're going to be talking about the battle so if you could uh cindy could you turn off these lights up here just these uh, i don't know exactly which one it is <laughs> we're going to trial and error there you go that's a good one yeah we're going to be talking about the battle if you would if you have your bibles with you how many have a bible with you today some have a Bible with them. If you have a Bible with them, turn to Ephesians 6, verse 11, starting in verse 11. If you don't have your Bible, you can look to the screen. If you have your Bible, read your Bible. It's good to read. Verse 11 says this, put on the whole armor of God. How many know we want to put on the whole armor of God? That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil or the schemes of the enemy. Is it not up there, Mikey? Oh, there it is. All right. Uh, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, say flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can ex extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you for your message. I thank you that at the end of the message, we have an opportunity to take communion together. Lord, I pray that as we go through this message and as we go through what it means to be in battle, Lord, you would speak to us, speak to our hearts. Lord, let it resonate within us. Let it speak to us and stay with us. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, I want to go back to verse 12 and read that again. Ephesians 6, verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. This morning, I want to talk to you about the real battle. How many know that what we see in the, in the world is just what we see. It's flesh and blood, right? But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, according to Scripture. We wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, we are wrestling not against people, but against the, the demonic. How many know that as believers, we are wrestling against the demonic? We are wrestling against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's referring to demons. How many know that there is an enemy, he is active in this world, and we need to be aware of his devices? 
How many know that to be true? C.S. Lewis wrote in the Screwtape Letters, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. You say, I just don't believe in that. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and an, un, un, an unhealthy interest in them. So some say demons are not real at all. How many know some people that may say that? Yeah, demons, I mean, demons, devils, not real at all, right? Then there are those who believe that there's a demon behind every rock. How many know some of those people? Behind everything, uh, boy, that's a demon. Don't you, have you seen that Disney movie cover? How many know what I'm talking about? Right? That's a demon. And sometimes you look at those things and go, yeah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. We were talking about this, Doug, just maybe a couple months ago, a few weeks ago, I can't really remember. Uh, but we were talking about Disney movies, and uh, it was something that you would put on for Ella. And we were talking about Disney movies, and it was a movie that came on. How many have ever seen the movie The Princess and the Frog? Right? If you're a girl, or if, sorry, Mike. <laughs> sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to call you out there. But it's a movie that's based in voodoo. It's a movie that's got, man, it's got happening music. It's got a lot of Louisiana culture, but it's based in voodoo. And so you look at that and go, man, I don't want to expose my kids to that. I don't want my kids to be exposed to that. They can understand, you know, uh, fun and, and magic and wizards and, and all those types of things. But, but, man, voodoo is a real thing that really happens in Louisiana culture, and it's part of, part of who they are, and it's pretty dark stuff. And you go, I don't want my kids to be, have a part of that, right? And so if they're exposed to that, you go, man, let's, let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. How many know there are things out there that are demonic that as Christians we just go, man, I don't know what's, what's good, what's bad, what, how, do, how do I distinguish? Do we just stay away from everything? Do we open ourselves up to some things? How many know the Bible says we're supposed to be in the world but not of the world, right? That's what the Bible says. So there's some believe that there's a demon behind every rock, and they go, well, you know, I can't, uh, I can't go to McDonald's because those golden arches, you know, that's, that's a demonic symbol. Now, I'm just making that up. Don't everybody leave here. And what Pastor David said, don't go to McDonald's because there's a golden arch demon, demonic symbol out there, right? But how many know there are some people that are always wringing their hands, and like, they're worried all the time. Christians that love the Lord, that have, you know, good intentions, but they're wringing their hands about everything. Just, ooh. You know, you, know, you know Christians like that? Just, oh my goodness. It's a demon. How many remember, oh man, what was it? Uh, in the 80s. You guys will remember this. Susie, you might remember this. Uh, it was a specific appliance brand. Was it P&G? Was it P&G? Procter & Gamble. They had Procter & Gamble, right? And then in their, uh, in their uh, what was it called? Uh, marketing. In their marketing, in the, they, they would have like a, uh, a logo, right? And, oh, that's demonic. So nobody buy anything from Procter & Gamble because that, they're just full of, full of demons. And that was a real thing in the 80s. They were like, no, nobody buy from Procter & Gamble. And so we look at these things and go, well, wait a minute. What's truth and what isn't? What's real and what's not? What's, now, the truth is this. You can see the demonic at work in tons of music and movies and media and the like, right? How many know that to be true? 
In the last 20 years or so, the demonic has infiltrated our homes and our schools and in many cases, our churches. But does that mean that there is no hope or that all hope is lost? No, I'm a firm believer that the battle is absolutely real. There is absolutely a spiritual battle happening. I'm also a firm believer that we shouldn't spend a majority of our time focusing on just one side of the coin. Or focusing on just one aspect of it. In 1 John chapter 4, we are told, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? How many know he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world? And so we have a lot of Christians that are wringing their hands. Oh, I don't know what to do about this. What if there's a demon? Well, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, right? I don't want to expose my children or myself to, to demonic or, or those things unnecessarily. But when you come up against those things, you go, okay, I can wring my hands. I can run away and, and, and you know, oh, I can't, I'm a Christian. I can't be a part of this. Or, you know, man, who has the greater power? Who has the greater power? When we look at that as believers, and you go, who is behind me? Who is my strength? Can I share with you this morning that hope is not lost? Amen? Hope is not lost. Can I tell you that while the darkness will get darker, the light of God's glory will burn brighter, and those who have Christ in them are greater than the enemy and his associates. When we think about the devil and the demonic, you know, I grew up in... 80s and 90s charismatic Pentecostal Christianity. And I don't know if you've ever been around those who have manifested the demonic in their life, but sometimes it can get pretty freaky. How many know what I'm talking about? How many have any experience with that? It can get pretty messed up and pretty freaky, and you go, Pastor David, do you really believe people can be demon-possessed? Yes. Absolutely. According to Scripture, we see it a lot. You know what we don't see in Scripture? We don't see people laying hands on people and going, demon of whatsoever, tell me your name, talk to me. We don't see that. We see that today. We see that in the modern church. It's an interesting thing. We can look at Isaiah and Job and Revelation, and we see a few facts about the devil. We see a few facts about the enemy. One of those facts is that when he rebelled against God, one-third of the angels rebelled with him. How many know what I'm talking about? Right? So when we think about the enemy rebelling against God, one-third of the angels rebelled with him, and what that means is this. There's twice as many angels as there are demons. So instead of wringing your hands about the demon behind every rock, maybe you should lift your voice in the confidence we have in Christ. Amen? Because when we think about, well, there's a demon there and a demon there and a demon there. I see a demon everywhere. And there's people like that. Are you seeing any of God's associates? Are you seeing any of the angels at work? My grandmother, God bless her, she, she passed away when she was 90-some-odd years old, and I think... 92, 94, somewhere in there. And she would be sitting at church and just start crying. 
You say, Grandma, what's going on? She say, the veil has been lifted from my eyes, and she could see angels in the building. She could see just just the, just just for a short time, just the grace of God lifted the veil, and she could see angels in the building, over the, in the corners of the churches. You say, Pastor David, you believe that's real? I'm not going to call my grandma a liar, are you? You going to call my grandma a liar? But I look at these things and I go, man. I had a pastor who, uh, growing up, he, the, when he got saved, he was actually high on PCP, angel dust. He wandered into a church, gave his life to the Lord, and instantly sobered up. Never went back to it. He was into all sorts of different stuff. He said, I saw more of the spiritual when I was high on drugs. I saw more of the spirit, just the, the veil, and it was dark, demonic stuff. So how many know there is a real battle? There are real, there is real darkness, real powers, real principalities, but we have a confidence in Christ knowing that in the end, we win, amen? It may seem like all is lost, but I assure you it is not. When you think about the day and age that we live in, think about the changes. I was talking to my kids this last week. The changes in culture, even in the last 10 years, Doug. Just radical shifts. Absolutely radical shifts in culture. It may seem like all is lost, but I assure you it is not. Matthew 16, 19 says this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. How many know that part of the battle involves binding and loosing? How many know what binding and loosing is? Some will say, well, I think I know what it is, but what do you think it is? What is binding and loosing? First, what is it and what is it not? First of all, what we are not talking about is exorcisms. Okay, we're not talking, I, mean, I believe exorcisms are real. We cast them out in the name of Jesus, get the demon out of their life, pray protection over them, hope it, you know, pray it doesn't come back, all those different things. Exorcisms, we believe, are real. But that's not the focus of the teaching today. What is binding and loosing? I myself grew up in a culture of people that took this scripture and applied it to their lives in unbiblical ways. So let me, let me give you some examples. People who would say, I have, the kingdom of, uh, I have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. What I bind on earth is bound in heaven. What I loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I have the power to bind up the enemy. I have the power to bind up demons. I have the power to bind up sickness. I have the power to loose healing. And I have the power to bind up poverty. And I have the power to loose provision. I have the power. How many know it's easy to get caught up in practices that give you an emotional high but have no spiritual or scriptural grounding? It's really easy to get caught up in the emotional. It's really easy to get caught up in, whoo, man, I got the power, right? How many, uh, this is totally off of not my notes, but this is not my notes. How many remember Richard Simmons? Right? How many of you are right? Boy, that guy, boy, he could work out. Tim, come up here. Come on, Tim. This would be fun. 
Sam, you know, recently I had a bit of a health issue, so I can't do this workout stuff right now. <laughs> but Tim, how many, you remember Richard Simmons? Yeah? Sweating, was it sweating to the oldies? Oh, yeah, right? It was a butt burner is what it was. All right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't recall. But how many know when Richard Simmons got, got going, boy, people got excited. Right? People got involved, sweating to the oldies. This is a strange-looking dude. No offense, Tim. This is not, I'm not, not talking to you. This is a strange-looking dude that was, like, dancing all over the place and sweating to the oldies. Tim, uh, maybe show us some of his moves. You, you didn't buy the video? You didn't? You're not, like, up on the... Okay, look at this. See, Tim's a good sport. See, this is how it goes. Man, yeah, yeah, people will start doing it. So what was that move that you just did? What was that move with the leg? I don't know. Come on, do it. Come on. Come on. Oh, you do this and you do that? Come on, you do that, right? And so, man, because, because you got to talk the whole time. You got to get people excited. You got to... Doreen, come on up, Doreen. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, it's all right. Hey, hey, here we go. Take a seat. How many know that when people, man, if you get excited about something, you can get emotional on and all of a sudden you got people joining you. Right, Tim? Thank you. Tim's a good sport. Give him a hand. Mike, I'm going to call you next. You keep talking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mark's like, thank you for not calling on me. It's easy to get caught up in the emotional high of things, right? So we're talking, we're laughing, we're having fun. It's easy to get caught up in that. How many know there's a lot of things we get caught up in that just have no scriptural basis? As good as having the power sounds, it's important that when we read scripture, we can't just read the text, right? I've said it before, I said it again. You can't just read the Bible, you have to read the Bible. We want to make sure we're reading it in context. We have to read it as it was meant to be read. So let's read the whole text in order to get the context. Go to the next, uh, Matthew 16, we're going to start in verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17 says, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is also in, who is in heaven. And I also say this to you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of earth, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I want you to say these two words with me. Say, Deo and Luo. These are the Greek words for binding and loosing in Matthew 16, 19, and elsewhere. The Theological Dictionary of the New Testament states this. Jesus does not give to Peter and the other disciples any power to enchant or free by magic sayings. The customary meaning of the expressions is incontestable, 
It means this, to declare forbidden or permitted, and thus to impose or remove an obligation, usually by doctrinal decision. Passing on an issue of doctrine does not equal shouting at Satan on how you want to bind him up and his demons. It is also quite different from what has become a normal practice in the Christian culture of loosing the money that you need or loosing the job that you want, as some people are prone to pray. There's not one instance in the entire New Testament where any of the disciples pray to bind up the demon of dot, dot, dot. Not one. I'm not going to bind this and loose this. Binding and loosing were both terms used by rabbis or Jewish teachers. The authority to bind and loose is the authority, listen to this, to declare what is God's mind on the issue. What is God's will? To bind is to obligate. To loose is to remove obligation. The teaching of Jesus is the standard for Peter and the standard for all preachers. This assumes, of course, that the teaching is in accord with the teaching in the mind of Christ. If you aren't teaching out of the mind and on track with what Christ is teaching, you're out of order. If you're not teaching according to the Holy Spirit and according to the mind of Christ, you're out of order. If we were to translate the passage very literally in Matthew 16, 19, it would say this. It says this in the Amplified Version. I will give you the keys or the authority of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind or forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, will have already been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose, permit, declare lawful on earth, will have already been loosed in heaven. It shows that the disciples were not unilaterally making, deciding the matter, thus binding heaven or loosing heaven. It means that their decision was in line with what God's mind already was on the subject. How many know that we want to be in God's will? In every area, in every aspect of our lives, we want to be in God's will. You say, Pastor David, aren't there other times in the Bible where this term binding and loosing is used? And the fact is, there is. Matthew 18, 18 says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But again, we have to look at the context. So when we talk about the battle and what it means and being in this battle with the demonic and these spiritual powers and principalities, what does it mean to bind and loose? Verse 15 of Matthew 18 says this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. So, the basic context of this is, if I have a problem with Braxton, Braxton, I, I go to Braxton and say, Braxton, this is the issue. You offended me somehow. We've got we to gotta talk about this. Braxton looks at me and says, I don't want to talk to you. Get away from me. Now, Braxton would never do that, right, Braxton? You sure? Praise the Lord. And so then, what I would do is take two or three more, usually probably elders or deacons in the church, and come to Braxton and say, Braxton, here's the issue. Let's talk about it. And if he refuses to hear them, then, on a Sunday morning, 
when we come before the church, listen, this is New Testament scripture. Come before the church and say, here is the issue between Braxton, myself, and now the leaders of the church. And if he refuses to hear even the church, let him be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. Now, that might not make a lot of sense in today's context, but how many ever got a call from the IRS? It's usually not a pleasant call. They're usually not calling to give you money, right? They're calling to take money. The tax collector, back in the biblical context, was a despised person. Despised person. And so it says, let them be to you like a heathen or a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bound, bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So the context here is talking about church discipline. How many know that we need church discipline sometimes? I know not everybody's going to say amen at once. We don't like to, you know, we really don't like to think about church discipline today. We really don't, Doug. Carol, I got some church discipline for you. <laughs> But how many know that, especially in the modern church, well, if they don't talk right to me, I'll just go to the church down the road. If they don't do what I want to do in the way that I want to do it, I'll just go somewhere that will. And so people will church hop until they find somebody that they can run over and control and that's their church home. There's an important aspect of church discipline. Not to where it's manipulated or, or to where it's abused or anything like that. But there's an important aspect of children of God, Christians, sheep, understanding that sometimes they need to have correction. There's an important part of church of growth, of maturity. How many know that uh, you, you have a little kid, right? Little kids are going to do what they want to do almost all the time. Unless you correct them. I once had a, uh, uh, this was at a party at my mom and dad's house. And it was the weirdest thing to me. My mom always had something on the stove. And it was always hot. And our youth pastor at the time, he had a, a little boy. And I want to say he was seven, maybe eight years old, six, seven, eight years old. And at this party, he went up to go touch the stove, like to touch the burner. And my mom yelled, don't do that! Because, why? Thank you. Participation is a good thing. Because it's dangerous, because he would burn himself. And I, I to this day, I remember vividly, the mother of the boy looking at my mom and saying, oh no, we'll just let him touch it. He can learn that lesson himself. And I went, what? I don't doubt that's a lesson learned, but is that the very best way? When we talk about church discipline, sometimes the pastor or the, the board or whatever it may be has to say, hey, let's, we need to come in line on these things. That's part of church growth. That's part of maturity. And the way that people handle it has to do with their maturity. 
A lot of people get, I don't know, some people just getting off. You can't talk to me that way. Well, I am. What are you going to do about it? Well, I'll just leave the church, Braxton. I'm picking on Braxton today. I don't know why. You can pick on Tim some more. No. He just said, for those who didn't hear it online, he said, I'll leave if you do. That's a good line, man. That's what people do. <laughs> we might want to keep talking to them. <laughs> oh, no. Here's the thing. We're talking about church. That the, the context of what's being talked about here has to do with church discipline. Now, what people will do is that they'll take this verse and say, I have the power to bind and I have the power to loose, Tim. I can bind up this and loose this, and I'm going to loose that new Ferrari. I'm going to loose that new motorcycle. Praise the Lord, I'm going to loose that new house. I'm going to bind up poverty. I'm going to bind up low paychecks and all sorts of different stuff. And, and you get people that use that verse for all sorts of stuff. I'm going to bind up this and loose this and bind up this and loose this. And I go, how many know the best practice is always to discover God's mind on the subject? God's will on the subject. To discover God's will for each situation and then obey it. Boy, that would make life so much easier. Boy, it would make life so much easier if we understood God's will for the situation and then just followed it. In this battle, our only hope lies in following God's will. It's exactly, Reagan. Yes. <laughs> there are many people in many battles, and it may seem like they are unable to overcome the enemy. How many of those people, boy, it just seems like they are just, it seems like every other week, every other day, sometimes every other hour, they're in a battle. They're just fighting the enemy back and forth, back and forth. Why? How many know the enemy is presented as strong? The enemy is presented as fearsome. He's intimidating. In fact, he's referred to as the strong man. How can that be overcome? How can me in my weakness overcome the strong man? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 22, we read an account of a man who was healed by Jesus. And it says this, Then one who was brought to him was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and the Lord healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Now, there's some implications here that I know I'm not going to get too off into. But the reason he was blind and mute was that he was demon-possessed. Does that mean every blind person is demon-possessed? No, thank you. Does that mean every mute person is demon-possessed? No. Does that mean every blind and mute person is demon-possessed? No. But let's not discount the fact that there are some people who are demon-possessed and it causes illness, ailment, things in their body because they're demon-possessed. It says Jesus healed him so that the blind and mute man both spoke and he saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? When they're, talk they're talking about the Messiah. 
Now, when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So Beelzebub, in case you're not sure, is another name for, the Satan, for Satan or the devil, right? So this is what they were saying. Oh, this guy is casting out demons by a demon, by the devil. It says, verse 25, but Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself will not stand. The reason he said it was this. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebub or by Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can one enter the strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. The key verse, which some claim to support for binding Satan through verbal assault, is verse 29. In this passage, Jesus uses a metaphor to illustrate his own mission. There's a New Testament scholar whose name is George Ladd. I like how the metaphor that Jesus uses, and this is what he says about it. Satan is the strong man. His palace or his house is the present evil age. How many, how many can say we live in a present evil age? His goods are men and women under his evil influence. However, he has not been left in peace to manage his affairs. A stronger Jesus, say a stronger Jesus, has assailed him and overcome him. The deliverances in the ministry of Jesus demonstrated Jesus' power to deliver people from the, from the power of the enemy, from the power of Satan. The meaning is this. Jesus is stronger than Satan always. Amen? The casting outs of evil spirits in his ministry proves that. The goods that are, that are plundered are people who are held in bondage. How many know there are some people held in bondage? Right? How do we overcome the strong man? By understanding that Jesus has already overcome the strong man. How many know he's all bark, but that's a neuter dog? Come on. Some people were just shocked right there. He's all bark, but that's a neuter dog. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same. That through death, listen to this, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Here's another way of saying it. Jesus came to set the captives free. Amen? This is not done by our own power. It's not done by magical words. It is only accomplished through the death of Christ on the cross. That's where it's accomplished. That through his death, he rendered the enemy powerless. Amen? By embracing the cross, we are defeating the enemy. When we talk about the battle... When we talk about binding and loosing, when we talk about fighting principalities and powers, Susie, by embrace, embracing the cross, we're defeating the enemy. Amen?